epistle is written in the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse, Colossians 3, 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Then we turn to our Gospel reading, which is in Matthew chapter 28. Hear the Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at, for, look at the tomb. <clears throat> there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, "'Do not be afraid.' For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be. And as we come to hear from God's word, uh, let's pray together. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We thank you, our Lord Jesus, that in you we have real hope. And so we pray now that as we hear from your words that you will cause that hope to rise afresh in us, that we may go out from this place as Easter people, ready and prepared to carry on living for your glory. In your name. Amen. Uh, It's April the 23rd, 1991. And we're at the Institute of Directors, if you can imagine, in the Royal Albert Hall in London. Gerald Rapner, uh, you may know where I'm going with this, Gerald Rapner, the chief executive of Ratner's Jewelers, uh, has just made a speech which has launched him stratospherically into the memory of the business community and into the attention of the wider world. Ratner, on that uh, particular day, made an infamous speech mocking the quality of the jewellery which his shops were currently selling to his customers. Uh, Following the speech, £500 million was wiped off the value of the company, uh, which almost folded, and we were reminded again how intimately the fortunes of a company are so often tied to the performance of the chief. Uh, A lesson that we pick up from history as well, as we look back through regimes, both good and bad, positive leaders and dictators, we we see throughout the course of human history how kingdoms and fortunes of people are so closely bound to those of their chief. If the king falls, then we all fall. If the king wins, then all the followers win with him. And so we arrive at Colossians 3. You might like to return to that passage, a wonderful reminder from Paul that King Jesus has won and that therefore all his followers have won with him. Verse 1 of chapter 3 begins with an important statement. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. As Christians, we're, we're Easter people. We die with Christ And we are raised with Christ. His life is our life. His victory is our victory. His return in triumphal procession in glory 
will be our appearing in glory as well. His heavenly home is our home now. And that kind of sets up the parameters for the rest of the passage. And what we're going to do this morning is to have a look through this passage at four paradoxes. Very briefly, we're going to see that the victory that Christ has won is both one-off and ongoing. We'll see that our victorious life is both a life down here but also a life up there. We'll see that we're both dead and alive and that we're both individuals and community. Just have a look at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. We know that Jesus' Easter Sunday resurrection was a one-off event. The victorious vindication of the resurrection and the life that Jesus won for all of those in his kingdom was a once and for all achievement. But we equally know that the outworking of that victory is something that we experience on a day-by-day basis as God's kingdom is extended in us as individuals and also is extended in the world into those areas that don't know him yet. It's it's an ongoing thing of resurrection. Uh, One of my friends once said to me, I I, I got married one day in a one-off celebration And my wife and I have spent the rest of our lives working out the implications of what happened on that amazing day. Jesus' resurrection may have happened almost 2,000 years ago, but the resurrection is on permanent replay in front of a watching world in the lives of those of us who follow the king. That leads us on to paradox Two, we're a down here, up there people. Just have a look at how verse two develops verse one. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For Jesus' followers, rather like the followers of any king in the ancient world, where the king is, then the followers are too. And so for us, we are raised with Jesus in glory. We might be down here, but we're also in a very real sense up there. And I'm not sure whether you noticed, but Paul unpacks a whole range of holistic implications for that. Set your hearts on things above Verse 2, set your minds on things above. And so that naturally feeds in to our words and our deeds and our actions have nothing to do with the earthly nature, put to death the earthly nature. And I wonder if the order's important there as well. Set your hearts on things above and naturally that risen life that bubbles up from within will naturally spill out into what we think and say and do. But if we reverse the logic and try to live a risen life just on the outside in what we do, then we run the risk of it becoming rather all overwhelming and all too much, a sort of religious facade 
that means that it crumbles all too easily as our hearts aren't necessarily one. So set our hearts on what's above and allow that to work its way out through how we think and how we live. That takes us to paradox number three. Easter people, resurrection people, are both dead and alive. And so verse five is a natural follow-on in Paul's logic. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. If heart and mind are, are fixed on Jesus above, then actually it makes no sense to follow the ways of our earthly nature. If, we, if we've accepted that Jesus has died for our sins, it makes no logical sense to continue living in sin. We are a, a new creation. In verse 10, Paul says, put on the new self, which is being renewed. So you notice the kind of the, the ongoing nature of this resurrection renewal. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. The image of God's glory, which was so fatally marred by sin in the fall, is thanks to Jesus' resurrection being daily renewed. And so let's live as risen people and not as fallen people. And that takes us to that fourth and final paradox. Part of the renewal of creation is unity. Jesus' people are one people following one king. And so in verse 11, Paul can declare, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so as we look around, even at the people here this morning and each other, we recognize that we are brilliantly and wonderfully different but we also recognise that we come together this morning because we have one citizenship and one king that transcends everything. We are people of the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, labels are quite a thing at the moment, aren't they? I wonder whether you're British or whether you're European or whether you're Devonian like me. Uh, I wonder whether you're Remain or whether you're leave, or whether, if you're in town earlier, whether you're town, or whether you're gown, uh, or whether you're upper, or lower, or perhaps somewhere in the middle. We're reminded here that whatever else we wear as labels, one thing unites us. Our primary label is that we're people of the risen, returning king, a community of individuals who are both dead and alive, people who live down here but also up there. And that's all thanks to the resurrection, which was both one-off but which keeps on going. Shall we have a few moments of prayer just before our service moves on? So we thank you, our risen Lord Jesus, for this communion service where we remember and where we enact those words that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. We're individuals who in this remembrance meal are brought together in community. 
we remember in this meal that we've died to sin and we've been raised in Christ. We remember that as we receive bread and wine, we do so with hearts lifted to heaven. And we remember in this event that the one-off events of Easter are an ongoing source of everlasting life. As your people this morning and as individuals, we give you thanks. Amen.